This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. In the Passion narrative of the Gospel of John, as Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, uh, they're in the midst of question and answer, and Pilate asks, So you are a king? And Jesus responds, You say I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And I've always kind of assumed that Pilate's just trying to weasel out of of that uncomfortable moment and to not really deal with the claim uh, that Jesus just made, to completely ignore the assertion. But this year, I, I wonder if that may not be the case. I wonder if Pilate is really trying to wrestle with this enigma who's sitting in front of him, who's not responding like anyone else has ever responded to him in a similar situation. Because immediately after this, he goes out and he tries to mollify the crowd uh, again and says, I I find no fault with this man. Uh, Now, certainly Pilate was in a situation he didn't want to be in, and certainly he was trying to get out of that situation. But I wonder if there may have been some sense of just trying to wrap his head around the claims of Jesus, because this is a perfectly rational question. If you don't understand truth in the way that he is speaking it, wouldn't you want to know the, the category? What do, you, what do you mean by truth? What is truth? And that's a question that we see resonating around our culture today, as some people have taken a, a very black and white view of their understanding of truth. Some people are very um, relativistic in their understanding of truth. Others uh, are much more fact-based and scientifically oriented. Uh, And each of these different ideas about the way that the world operates have a different understanding and a different view, fundamental view, of what truth is. And so today we're going to talk about truth. We're going to talk about this book that I'm holding in my hands. Let's talk about truth, a guide for preachers, teachers, and other Catholic leaders in a world of doubt and discord. It's available on Ave Maria Press, written by Dr. Anne Garrido. Uh, We're just pleased to have you back on the show. Thanks for being with us today. Oh my gosh, TL, it's a delight to be back with you and your whole audience. Dr. Garrido is an associate professor of homiletics at Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri, where she previously directed the school's Doctorate of Ministry and Preaching program. Dr. Garrido has served as the Martin Faculty Fellow in Homiletics at the University of Notre Dame, and she's the author of multiple books, including this one we're talking about today, available on Ave Maria Press. She travels nationally and internationally, helping communities discuss the topics they find toughest to talk about, conversations that always involve questions of truth. And Dr. Garrido, what I'm particularly interested in is here in this day and age, we we see the rise of the nuns, those who have no religious affiliation. We also see an increasing rise of people who take the title deconstructing, uh, and by which they mean deconstruct the house rather than, than demolish it, right? Deconstruct it piece by piece so that they can get a sense for what really is true that I used to believe and what can I dispense with. Some find themselves deconstructing 
into that nun category of no religious affiliation. Others find themselves deconstructing into a place where uh, their version of Christianity looks very different than the one that they were raised with. And so much of this centers around that, that fundamental question, how do we categorize before we even get to questions of what is true and what isn't true, what's factual and what's not factual, what fits into the category of truth, we first have to really understand what is the category of truth. Tiel, I think that's just the right question to be asking. Um, because in part also to know, as you were noting, the context and what this conversation is happening is that all of what's going on right now for the nuns or for, you know, like all uh, young people in religion is also happening inside of a larger cultural context that is oftentimes being labeled quote post truth. Like what, and what does that even mean? So it's also like this, there's these larger cultural questions that we're asking about truth. Um, and that is what makes it so difficult. Uh, sometimes I think, you know, like if I go in and I start to preach about God is love, which is totally true. Right. But I'm preaching about it within a context of which people have grown up, like, let's just say in a family in which there's been a lot of domestic violence. And so their notion of love is entirely shaped by that context in which they're growing up. God is love, but not like you mean love in that kind of context. Like you're using the word in a way that isn't true of what God is. And I think oftentimes the way that we're using the word truth, we immediately jump in, at least in religious spheres, and shoot for like, let's talk about capital truth with a capital T. But if we're living in a society that doesn't have a fundamental definition of truth to begin with, it's really going to be hard for us to make any sort of religious statements about truth or what's true if we don't first have a really good working definition of what do we mean, like you're saying, mm -hmm. what do we mean by the word truth? So I think the question that you're asking is exactly the one that we should be pondering. We should be pondering. And it's important for us for a number of reasons. One, we want to be good communicators. We want to be able to, to accurately communicate, uh, to use the term, the truths of our faith in a way that can be understood and appropriated and received with with joy. Um, at the same time, I think there's another side of it. We need to know what we mean by truth so that we don't end up in the place where Jesus spoke of the Pharisees of his time saying that you, you tie up heavy burdens and you block the entrance, but you make no effort to enter yourself, right? Are we in our communication of truth just giving a list of do's and don'ts and standards that, that are not the standard, but they're our standard? Uh, and and thereby distorting what that capital T truth is by our own perspectives of what we've come to understand truth to be. Mm -hmm. I love that in the Gospel of John, when Jesus, it's really in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses the word truth. It doesn't appear too much in the synaptics. But there's one passage in John that I've particularly treasured. It's from John 3. And he basically says that those who live truth come to the light. And I'm like, what does that mean? Because I'd always tend to think, you know, as a Catholic growing up, like you're talking about truths, like there's these particular statements or so forth. But when Jesus is talking about truth there, at least, he seems to be talking about truth as a verb, like it's a way of being in the world. So what I was trying to, I just wanted to, in doing this project on Let's Talk About Truth, I wanted to step back and look at in the breadth of the Catholic tradition around that word truth, 
what are some of the practices that we all commit ourselves to as Christians? So stepping back, not so much like what I'm dealing with is not so much like what are particular truths that we hold, but what does it mean to us when I say that I'm I'm trying to hold a truth? So what I ground myself in is that there's three core Christian practices that I think radiate throughout our tradition. One is that all of us have a commitment to seek the truth. The second is that all of us have a commitment to speak truthfully and that all of us have a commitment to be true. And in each of those practices, that word truth means just something a little bit different and also embeds itself in our life in sort of a little bit different ways. So, um, that I, I want to think about how does truth become more and more of a verb or a spirituality, a way of being in the world, a way of trying to live our faith, um, rather than at this point in time, I'm not focusing so much on like individual truths. Mm-hmm. In the book, you also identify four facets of truth. You call them the four faces mm-hmm. or facets like a diamond. <clears throat> and I think that we're, pretty skilled in thinking about uh, one of those ways, or maybe even two of those ways. But, but it seems like whichever one or two we pick, we do so at the expense of the others. And so you talk about that first way, the one, the way that we, I think we typically think of it, the philosophical way of seeing things as they are right? Seeing yes. things as accurately as possible. And when we used to do marriage prep, we would tell married couples that um, when expectation doesn't meet reality, frustration is the result. And so it, that the benefit for us is to have our expectations as closely aligned to reality as possible. And I think that that's good, uh, good advice for marriage. It's also just good advice for life, right? Uh, to, to see the world as it is and to set our expectations along those lines. Um, but you continue, and then to talk about uh, truth as a way of forming good judgments. And in our world of opinions, of which social media, which we talked about on the air last time, has just uh, magnified, we've, I think, come to believe that opinions are a thing that we have the right to hold rather than something that we have the obligation to form. Mm, wow, that's put profoundly. And both of those first two facets of truth fall under what I would call the practice of seeking truth. So that what one of our commitments as Christians is that first off, we're really trying to seek to have minds that are aligned with the real, mm-hmm. right? That we believe that there really is a world out there that it's not just one that exists inside of our brain. And what our goal is to try to have our mind aligned with that as closely as possible. And then to that second point about the formation of judgments or opinions is that in addition to having our mind aligned with what's real, we're trying to put together, okay, so now if this is real, what does a good life look like out of that? So when I'm forming judgments, I'm also trying to have a mind aligned with what's good, what's good. And those first, when I'm seeking reality and when I'm seeking goodness, I'm living that fundamental Christian commitment to pursue truth, mm-hmm. to seek truth. The, here, here rises the questions, where do we seek that truth? Because mm-hmm. the places where we go to look for that truth is going to affect how we form that, that opinion. And I see so often people 
narrowing their list of inputs uh, so as to to stay pure in their thought of truth, but in doing so, they narrow the output, right? Not so much that being narrow-minded, but not taking in the full picture. Like we have just a partial picture of truth, which is all we can ever really have. You, you mentioned that earlier, that one of your mentors or friends said that the world has billions of volts and we're dealing with a 60-watt bulb, right? Um, but if we are only seeking truth in in certain contexts or in certain corners and limiting our input, then we diminish our ability to form our opinions of truth and our understanding of truth because we've put had limited input. And one of my favorite things about, particularly I would just say the Catholic tradition, is that I think the Catholic tradition for the last 2,000 years has valued study mm-hmm. and valued study in any discipline as a legitimate pursuit of truth. Because we believe that truth in the end is one, we can go in through so many doors and we don't need to shut down any source of information um, unless, as I do talk about at one point in the chapter, there's things that could, that by way of getting that information, we would need to sin in order to have it. So that I would block out, right? Like you can't do like, for example, some of the tests that Nazis did um, on people, like that is the information we gleaned from that is information we should not have because it was gleaned by immoral means um, or the Tuskegee, you know, uh, research that was done. Like it was gained by, gained by, like immoral means. So that kind of information, let's put that off the table, but all other forms of information, if it's all, if it's gained by um, being in conversation and collaboration with other people who also are pursuing truth, then there's nothing off of the, there's nothing outside that for us. So as Catholics, we should be involved in the sciences. We should be involved in math. We should be involved in literature can be a revelation of truth. Like, and in the conversations that we hold in communion with other people who are also pursuing truth within those disciplines, eventually all these things continue to move us more and more into coming into contact more deeply with reality. So anything that's going to move us to be more deeply in contact with reality is something that as Catholics, we have an open mind and an open heart to. I've brought this up many times, and, and I don't think I can stress it enough. Um, I, I think back to St. Thomas Aquinas, and I think back to his format of the Summa. And in every instance, he, he elaborates and enumerates the the position of the person that he is debunking, right? He, and, and he often, he often enumerates that position better than the person could do themselves. And and then he goes on and gives what he thinks or the weaknesses of that argument and then tells the truth as he sees it. What, What's key to me, and and I think that we sometimes miss, is that in order for him to be able to enumerate that other person's position better than they could, is he had to understand it. And in order to understand it, he had to study it. And in order to study it, he had to expose himself to those ideas. And he didn't put himself in any danger in doing so. He didn't diminish his understanding of truth. He enhanced his understanding of truth by communicating and and interacting with ideas 
that he would never himself hold. Yes. And as we're speaking, like there's a quote of his that come to mind. And of course, I'm not going to be able to find it on the spot. Um, But it's one of my very favorite quotes from his, which he says something along the lines of, we must love those whose opinions we share and those whose opinions we don't, because those whose opinions we don't share have helped us they they help us guide us on the journey toward like we we by learning them and by wrestling with them internally um they help us to become clearer and clearer in what it is that we do hold and believe so thomas i mean his whole method of this back and forth that the summa is based on or in you know which was based on the dialogue of disputatio right mm-hmm. like going back and forth that for the Dominicans to pursue that as a way of pursuing truth, that's always done in charity. And it's always done. You have great gratitude toward the person, your interlocutor, who's taking the other position because of the belief that in the dialogue, we're each going to come to deeper truth. If, if in our goal and our intention is both to try to arrive at truth. So for, for the Thomas Aquinas of the world, for the, priests and deacons and and parish ministers of the world, um, it can be difficult enough to do, to have those disagreements and, and pursue truth in the midst of all the messiness. How much more so for the, the parent who has a disagreement with their adult child or for, uh, for we who are the lay people out in the community trying to stand in and live in what we understand to be truth, but interacting with those whose ideas we we don't fathom and maybe don't feel equipped to engage with, how can we live out that kind of openness in such a way that we don't find ourselves in danger? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think it can be very helpful. I, this is going to sound strange when I say it, but I do think a core Christian practice of our own time should be, and I would love to see if parishes did this, develop our skill sets for having difficult conversations. Now, when I say that, that's a little different than saying helping develop people's skill sets for apologetics, which could also be very helpful, like to help people know their faith better. I think in catechesis, very, very important. But I don't think that we have done a lot of as much work in terms of equipping people to actually be in healthy and wholesome conversation in a pluralistic society in which there are people who hold things differently. And oftentimes the way that we approach those conversations ends up um, shutting down the conversation or actually turning people off from the faith more than it actually ends up winning them over. Um, And so doing things like um, studying difficult conversations, studying negotiation skills, um, one of my earlier books is, you know, yes. is on redeeming conflict. So that's, that's been a particular passion of mine for many years now about how do we have a method for holding conversation that's consonant with our deepest beliefs about, um, about faith and, um, and how Jesus and Jesus's, uh, way of being in the world. So it's not just the content, but it's also the pedagogy or the way which we, in which we go about conversation with each other matters too. And so right there, you've taken us to, we, we mentioned the first two facets of truth earlier and kind of got sidetracked on them, but here you've given yeah. us a perfect segue because 
the second two facets you talk about is truth is a way of communicating, speaking as honestly as possible, and truth is a way of being in relationship, being as faithful to one another as possible. And so here, as we said earlier, sometimes we're, we focus on uh, on the first two facets and we miss the second two. Or, or I've also seen the same thing where people say, well, I need to be as faithful in relationship and to see other people as persons, but but who do so at the negation of of any objective reality or objective truth. And so I talk about it as the tension between or the tendency towards either fundamentalism, this idea that black and white is all there is, or relativism where there is no black and white, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we then take those four divergent uh, ideas of truth, not not so much divergent in that they are incompatible, but that they are different from one another. And how do we hold them all in the same place? Yes, I love that you mentioned that because um, when I was doing work on this book, I was actually speaking with a Jewish colleague who said, you know, in, in Hebrew, the word for truth is the word emet. Mm-hmm. And she said the word for truth or the word for death in, in Hebrew is the word met. It's just Emmett minus one letter. And I don't, I, for some reason, I just, that really set my mind spinning. Like I thought about that for a long time because I oftentimes think, yes, um, truth, truth is having a mind aligned with reality. Truth is having a mind aligned with what's good. Truth is, as you just mentioned, that third dimension, having a mouth aligned with your mind, right? <laughs> because there's plenty of us who could be in contact with reality, but here, but we lie. Like we, what we speak is not actually what is in our head. And that, so that's a facet of truth. And then there's this whole quality you're talking about of being true, being in relationship, the capacity to sustain relationship, even when we might not agree about something. And it strikes me that oftentimes if you try to remove even one of those facets, if you take away one of those letters, you end up with met, you end up with death. And that as Christians, our commitment, and I think what allows us to do this, particularly in our in our, our Catholic tradition, is our, our love of the word and. Yes. That it's not this or that or that or that. It's all of these are essential functions in living a spirituality of truth. Um, and if I'm missing one of those, I'm not going to be living truth in the way that Jesus talked about it in that Gospel of John, mm-hmm. coming to the light. In some ways, j- just as Jesus said, uh, I am the truth, the way, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, in some ways, living out truth is simply living out the Christian life in, in terms of being little Christs, right? Mm-hmm. That, that it is through allowing the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit to be in us and live through us. And with Paul saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives me with regard to how I, my relationship to seeing things as they are and seeing people as they are, right? Um, that in that place, we can be fully true. We can fully understand truth. We can fully live truth only by grace and only by living out the Christ life. Yes. 
You know, I've done, because as you can imagine, being fixated on the topic of truth for most of my life, I've spent, spent a lot of time looking at that line from John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a lot of different ways in which scholars kind of think through that. And one of my favorite, the, and one of the commentaries I've been reading recently is that it, that what Jesus might be trying to communicate there is, I am the way to truth and life. Mm-hmm. Like that if you if you look at me, look at the way that I'm living, Look at the way that I'm interacting with people. Look at the look at the way that I <laughs> I am in the world, and that following me will lead you to this greater truth mm-hmm. and to a much more abundant life, as he also says elsewhere in in John. And um, that for me is something as a Christian that I hope I do witness out in the world is that by the way, in imitation of Christ, um. I, I and I would say I testify that is true. I come to a deeper and deeper knowledge of what's real, what's good, what's honest, and what's faithful mm-hmm. um, through through the living of the Christian life. In the opening portion of your book, in the introduction, you you mention that while it's helpful for us to have this conversation about Christ being the truth and the life, and and for, to help us understand truth more, that as preachers, as those who proclaim the gospel, whether it be uh, a priest or whether it be we lay people proclaiming the gospel to the world, that sometimes it's at cross purposes for us to start off that conversation well, with, well, well, God is true and Jesus is true. And, and starting with those big T truths, when, when and before we have accurately and adequately explained the little T's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, as preachers, I definitely don't get me wrong there. I do think we need to speak about God as truth and so forth. And, and it's a question of, I don't, I think oftentimes we do leap in with those big teachers and we haven't in our society done an adequate job. And so hence also in our assemblies of understanding what do we even mean by that word truth. Um, So for example, when I say that Jesus is truth, or let's just say, let's just say God is truth. I mean, on one hand, am I meaning that God there is the most ultimate reality that there is? The really real? Mm-hmm. I do mean that. Do I also mean though there's a, there's God is the greatest good that there is? I do also mean that. <laughs> do I mean that God is the greatest integrity? Like that for God, nothing comes out of God's mouth or metaphorically word that is not linked with God's action. Like there's total integrity in God. Yes, that is true too. And do I mean that God in that Hebrew sense of Emmet is faithful? That's what the Bible oftentimes means when they're talking about God as truth, is that God is faithful. God's, God stands the test of time. You can count on God. God's trustworthy, steadfast. And so oftentimes if I just say, if, I, if I'm preaching and I just have one of those definitions of truth in my mind, um, if I'm in a congregation, again, that doesn't have a fuller sense of truth, and particularly if I'm in a congregation, as I said earlier, that doesn't have a healthy understanding of what that word even means, so often what I'm saying will be um, taken out of context, or it will be less true than it could be true. We're talking today with Dr. Ann Garrido, Associate Professor of Homiletics at Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis about our new book, Let's Talk About Truth, a guide for preachers, teachers, and other Catholic leaders in a world of doubt and discord. It's available right now on AveMariaPress.com. Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to this conversation right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.
TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Dr. Ann Garrido, Associate Professor of Homiletics at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, she is a prolific author. Uh, she's written numerous wonderful books. We talked a little bit uh, about your book, Redeeming Conflict, in the earlier segment. You have a book on social media, which we had a conversation on earlier in the year, which you can go and listen to those archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. The book we're talking about today is Let's Talk About Truth, a guide for preachers, teachers, and other Catholic leaders in a world of doubt and discord. I want to talk about this world of doubt and discord here for a moment. It's important for us to realize that we never really know the audience we have, right? So whether you're a, whether you're a priest in and you're preaching a homily, or whether you are in mixed company as a layperson, we can know things about the people who are right around us, but we don't know who's on the edges on the fringes. We don't know the things that are deep in their heart. And we can say things from our perspective that we understand as truth. But if we present it from only a certain perspective, the words can come out and strike the ear of our listeners differently than we anticipated. So uh, I recall a time that I was giving a talk in, um, in Wichita, Kansas at a men's conference. And I was speaking about um, natural family planning and, and some other things along those lines for men. And I recall talking about uh, how scripture references uh, fertility and infertility and how it's taken. Like uh, fertility is always mentioned as a blessing and that oftentimes when someone experienced infertility, it was experienced as a curse. It was felt as a curse, but that's not how I said it. I said it, in scripture, fertility is always seen as a blessing and infertility is seen as a curse. And for that man out there who came to me afterwards distraught, who was experiencing infertility and was hearing it as a, an objective outside curse and not as an experience of feeling cursed, that struck differently than I anticipated and did damage and and wounded that person in a way that I never would have anticipated because I didn't understand my audience and I did not take into account, hey, there are people out here who have different experiences. And we sometimes forget that the people who are not us have a different perspective and different experience of life and different understanding of the words coming out of our mouths than us. We understand our intention, but not necessarily everyone else does. And so I wonder if we can talk a little bit about how the, the proclamation, how do we proclaim that which we have come to understand is true, that which we have formed our opinions on? How do we communicate that in a way that is uplifting and that is enticing and that is not, uh, not harmful and not a hammer? Because so often truth is used as a hammer to say what you should do, and people who have experienced that can can walk away with great wounding after what's supposed to be something that brings life. Mm. Gosh, you raised so many good points there. I mean, the the one thing that I really hear you saying is the distinction. First off, we need to be really clear in our minds around the distinction between intent and impact. Yes. 
So I can have the best of intentions and it can still land on the other person's ears in a way that's hurtful. The impact can be hurtful. And the flip of it is as a hearer, I can be impacted by something negatively and I forget to assume that the other person likely has good intent. So I think to the degree that within congregations, we can be charitable toward each other in that regard is important. Um, That being said, I think when one preaches or when one's in a space of teaching, it is, it does mean that we need to have put a priority on um, getting to know our congregations, getting to know our classes and entering into dialogue and finding out what are the gazillion volts of electricity they might have access to that are not in our 60 watt brains at this point in time. So I do find that like the more that I present, the more that I speak, the more that I preach, the more I am able to um, anticipate in advance where there might be some resistance. And one of the things which one can do in preaching um, or teaching is to name explicitly what might be in the other person's internal voice and do it in the way that the other person could shake their head and say, oh yeah, you do know what's in my mind right now. Because if, if I can do that, then the other person's actually able to listen better to what I have to say. So you mentioned earlier in the first segment we did the genius of Thomas Aquinas in this regard, because when he does the summa, you know, he says like, here, here's the question. Here are all the reasons one might go this direction. Here's all the reasons one might go this direction. I say, and oftentimes in the, in his, what he says, he combines the best of both and he honors both as like, well, this is a really good point. That's legitimate. And this is a really good point. And oftentimes the chord that he seeks to strike is one that either blends both of them, but at least acknowledges charitably what the one that he doesn't take. And I will say one time when I was reading the Sumo, I was researching the book and I loved, I could go back and try to find this again. But I did find one of the, you know, because then he takes on each of the arguments and he's like, at one point in time, I did find in the sumo where he said something along the lines of, that's a really good point. I don't have an answer to that. Really? And I wish that I had, I wrote it somewhere. I wish I could find it again. But I think even Aquinas to be able to acknowledge, I'm still thinking about something. I don't have it all entirely worked out. And I think even as preachers, one of the things in our current age that can really help people to be more receptive to what we're saying is to also acknowledge out loud where we've got questions, not just where we've got answers, what we struggle with also. Um, Because other people then also are like, oh, okay, my questions are legitimate. The pursuit of truth is is done through having really good questions Mm -hmm. and continue. We don't have all the answers right now, but it's the pursuit of truth is a lifelong journey. Like we're always going to be discovering more. Um, and as preachers, we want to be partners in that lifelong journey, uh, not the end of it. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a lay person, as a catechist, seeking to have a stronger relationship with truth, reading through the book, getting a sense of these different facets, what are some things that we can do to form our fortitude? in our relationship to the truth? How do we grow in those areas of truth that maybe we have been weak in before rather than just willing ourselves, well, I'm going to do better, right? What are some exercises that we can take to grow in our relationship to truth? 
I think in relation to that first facet of truth, where we've spent a lot of time today, is um, if I really want to be, if I really want to have a mind that's more and more aligned with what's real, I think the discipline of study, the capacity to keep reading, keep learning, keep listening, well, like to shows like yourself, you know, like to continue my own education and not ever feel like, oh, I've got that. I possess all the that needs to be known about the world. Now I'll move on to something different. No, just like to always be listening, to always be open to learning. I think in capacity to that second aspect of truth about having a mind that's aligned with the good. Um, one is to continue to form one's conscience. So to continue to make sure that, um, that I am not making opinions entirely on my own, but that I am docile enough to be able to listen to other wise figures who struggled with similar questions around the good and in particular, am I willing to listen to the voices of those who my opinions and my judgments impact? Like that's one of the things we see with Jesus in the Gospels. Like, for example, his encounter with the Syrophoenician woman. He had a pretty strong idea about what his mission was. But when he encountered that woman who was like, look, you also are for us, mm-hmm. right? Like he may have, he's like, huh, like <laughs> his idea of good um, maybe he began to see his mission as larger in that moment, which would be a remarkable thing. In terms of trying to develop capacities for honesty, I think um, making that commitment to not have anything come out of my mouth that I myself uh, have not, like that I, that I don't actually really think, like a commitment to make sure that I'm being honest and trying to uh, deepen my relationships through being more open with other people. And finally, that that last chapter about the commitment to be true, that's really where, like, how do I develop capacities for friendship, for fidelity and relationship, a lot of which depends on having good communication skills. But are there ways that I can continue to be in relationship and show love for other people, even when we don't always necessarily hold the same ideas, the same worldview? Mm-hmm. With that last bit, I know that you've done a little bit of work in this area recently. You talk in the book some about skepticism, uh-huh. but within skepticism, we're seeing a, a new, I don't know how new it is, but it feels like an, a resurgence of um, creativity with regard to the truth in terms of, uh, specifically with regard to reality in, in the form of conspiracy theories. And they are a little bit of everywhere. And it seems like the people who... Um, who adhere to conspiracy theories hold them with the same fervency of of conviction that a person might have with the truth. So when you're interacting with someone whose uh, whose understanding of truth is so diametrically opposed, how do you have that conversation? Specifically, if that's a person who's within your circle, maybe a, a family member who uh, who used to believe in a in a way similar to you, and now has ideas which seem so far from reality that you don't know how to begin. Uh, if you figure out the answer to that one, <laughs> you know, um, because this is, this is, I think one of the hardest questions of our time. And it's one in which I would say internally, I've had some movement on because when I started teaching, right, I was all about, as a high school teacher, I was like, Question everything. Make sure that you, you know, like, ask, and I still do believe in asking good questions. Don't get me wrong around that. 
But I do recognize that we have swung instead of taking, because uh, I think often as a teacher, we get concerned, like you just all the students are just swallowing everything that you taught and they haven't actually appropriated it and really wrestled with it. And you want them to wrestle. So I think I was really good as a young teacher at helping students to wrestle. Mm-hmm. I think as a society, we have swung now in the other direction way far, which is that you can't trust anything. Right. You can't trust anybody. You, and you need to you need to research this yourself and you're going to go online and you're going to figure this out and you're going to put together a puzzle that nobody else has been able to puzzle put together this puzzle but you're going to be able to do that and when i've looked about when i've looked at what's happened within our society in the last couple of years i'm like wow we we've taken that we've gone from one extreme to another extreme which is the entire lack of trust in any form of expertise beyond our own mind or people who we agree with And I want to say uh, a healthy balance within our society is going to need to come to recognize there are fields of expertise. There are some people who know more information about this than I do. And that even when I'm doing my quote research online, I'm not in the lab myself moving little molecules around. I'm still trusting whatever the source is that I'm finding online. Mm -hmm. So we very few of us are involved in original research. I think what we have to do is to figure out, you know, and that's where somewhat where the science is, where bodies, conferences, where there's like people of expertise in a particular area are in critical conversation with each other. And there needs to be some degree of trust and the capacity to understand who we can trust and who not. One of the most dangerous things i think in this common age of where there's where we don't believe that there is such a thing as truth in this idea that like it whenever whenever anybody says something out of their mouth that in their mind they know is not real or their brain as they've not done hard work to align their mind with reality every time someone's dishonest it cuts into the cornerstone. Like it, it just diminishes all of our capacities to trust. Mm-hmm. And so when you live in a society in which dishonesty has become a norm for many, for several years now, we've been dealing with really where there's just a sense that, well, dishonesty doesn't really matter. We shouldn't really expect honesty from each other or from our leaders. Um, what the, the fruit of that in society is that for all of us, then it becomes a little harder to trust anything that we're told. And so Aquinas is very, very strong about the sin of lying. Whenever anybody of us says something out of our mouth that we know not to actually be true, um, we it's a, it's a sin against all of society because now every person who goes out into the world has to be more skeptical. Uh, I've, I've heard the story told about Aquinas and I, do not have the the um, the citation for it, so I might be spreading a, an untruth here. But I've I've heard the story of Aquinas that uh, in school his schoolmates came up to him and said, "Thomas, quick, look out the window! There's a pig flying!" And he rushed to the window, and uh, and of course there was no pig flying. And his schoolmates laughed at him and pointed and said, "You're so gullible!" And everything that students say, students would say, and and. It, it was relayed to me that Thomas responded, I would rather believe that a pig could fly than that my Christian brothers would lie to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And since you're, since you work with Dominicans and you're nodding and saying, yes, I can now take that as gospel truth that that actually did happen. So I'll <laughs> well, please let me put it this way. It has been passed on to me also. Yeah. yeah so it definitely is part of Dominican lore. I don't have the dates and I would have to look that up and do more research. <laughs> to my knowledge, that is true. So how, how beautiful a picture that is of, of trust and, and in some way of, of that trust serving as a lesson to his, his brothers as well, right? Uh, let us approach life with that same kind of, of, of simplicity, of uh, transparency, and hopefully that same level of brilliance as St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. We've been talking with Dr. Angarito, Associate Professor of Homiletics at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, Missouri. The book is Let's Talk About Truth, a guide for preachers, teachers, and other Catholic leaders in a world of doubt and discord. You can get it at AveMariaPress.com. At the website there, you can also find um, study notes and, and handouts and other lesson plans that can help you present this material if you're a catechist or you want to do a book study at your church. Dr. Garrido, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Ann Garrido, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Not only this episode, but also the last time we talked to her about her book, Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online, uh, you just... When you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click the guest list. Scroll down to her name, Dr. Ann Garrido. When you click on that, you'll get both of those episodes. And if you get to the end of that and you just want more, well, I've got good news. There is more. There's always more. Each and every week we record an extra segment that we make available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we give them a couple extra questions with a guest, a little bit of extra content which you can find by clicking that Patreon link there in the menu. While you're there also, you can, if you have not yet signed up for that community, there's plenty of older extra segments that are now available. After about six months, they become available to everyone. I encourage you to go over, listen to some of those extra segments and consider being a part of that community. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading today from scripture comes from the book of Sirach. Observe the right time and beware of evil, and do not bring shame on yourself. For there is a shame which brings sin, and there is a shame which is glory and favor. Do not show partiality to your own harm or deference to your downfall. Do not refrain from speaking at the crucial time and do not hide your wisdom. For wisdom is known through speech and education through the words of the tongue. Never speak against the truth, but be mindful of your ignorance. Do not be ashamed to confess your sins, and do not try to stop the current of a river. Do not subject yourself to a foolish fellow, nor show partiality to a ruler. Strive even to death for the truth, and the Lord God will fight for you. 
Do not be reckless in your speech or sluggish and remiss in your deeds. That reading comes from the book of Sirach, chapter 4. And what stands out to me here is that that phrase, never speak against the truth, but be mindful of your ignorance. I think this goes back to what Dr. Garrido and I were speaking about earlier, that we have to always keep in mind that there are things we don't know, not only about maybe the facts of of a situation, maybe the nuances that may present themselves, but also of the heart of the other person, that we have to be mindful of our ignorance and let that give us some bit of pause. And then jumping down to that last line, do not be reckless in your speech. And I think the way that we avoid being reckless in our speech is by being mindful of all the things that we don't know, to be mindful of our ignorance so that when we speak, we can speak with precision, that we can speak with care, and that we can speak in such a way that we are actually communicating the things that we want to communicate, that we're actually conveying ideas and not just expressing the the first thing that pops into our minds. So may we be filled with wisdom. May we be uh, filled with humility. May we be filled with prudence in our speech and with quickness in our deeds. Our reading today from Church History comes from an exposition on John by St. Thomas Aquinas. Christ himself is the way, and therefore he says, I am the way. This certainly is eminently right, for through him we have access to the Father. Since this way is not separate from its end, but joined to it, he adds the truth and the life. Thus, he is himself at once both the way and the goal. In his human nature, he is the way, and in his divine nature, he is the goal. Therefore, speaking as man, he says, I am the way, and speaking as God, he adds, the truth, and the life. These two words are an apt description of this goal. For this goal is the object of human desire, and a man desires two things above all. In the first place, he wants to know the truth, which is peculiar to him. And secondly, he wants to continue to exist, which is common to all things. Christ is the way by which we come to know truth, though he also is that truth. Lead me, O Lord, in truth, and I shall enter into your way. Christ is also the way to come to life, though he is also that life. You have made known the ways of life. Therefore, he designated the end of this way by truth and life about which we have spoken above with reference to Christ. First, he himself is life, for life was in him. Then he is truth, because he was the light of men, and light is truth. If then you are looking for the way by which you should go, take Christ, because he himself is the way. This is the way, walk in it. 
And Augustine says, make man your way and you shall arrive at God. It is better to limp along the way than stride along off the way. For a man who limps along the way, even if he only makes slow progress, comes to the end of the way. But one who is off the way, the more quickly he runs, the further away he is from his goal. If you are looking for a goal, hold fast to Christ, because he himself is the truth where we desire to be. My mouth shall reflect on the truth. If you are looking for a resting place, hold fast to Christ, because he himself is the life. Whoever finds me finds life and receives salvation from the Lord. Therefore, hold fast to Christ if you wish to be safe. You will not be able to go astray because he is the way. He who remains with him does not wander in trackless places. He is on the right way. Moreover, he cannot be deceived because he is the truth, and he teaches every truth. And he says, For this I was born, and for this I have come, to bear witness to the truth. Nor can he be deceived because he is both life and the giver of life. For he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That reading comes from an exposition on John by St. Thomas Aquinas, and it really does all boil down to that. Choose Christ. Hold fast to Christ. As we seek to be people of the truth, as we seek to be a people who live the truth, we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We do that by looking to Jesus as in a mirror to say, am I in this place, in this day, in this time, in my interactions with those around me, am I reflecting the person of Jesus Christ? Not only that, but am I, as Paul says, am I able to say, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me? Am I able to say that because I have given myself over to Christ in such a way that I can put to death those things that are, that are in me that are natural, and that I can allow the Holy Spirit to come and make of me an extension, a part of the body of Christ, a, a new incarnation, that the people who hear me and speak to me are able to experience Christ, and I experience Christ through them. I think that if we get that mindset about us from the Beatitudes, that that would solve so much of this doubt and discord which we wade through each and every day. May God give us the grace to hold fast to Christ, and as we do, may Christ empower us to live truth. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.